Welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style, a weekly podcast hosted by Pat Wesolowski. Pat began homeschooling her nine children more than 25 years ago. It didn't take her long to discover that co-ops were a perfect fit for her educational goals. Co-ops allowed her family to study together with other families, creating a safe and friendly environment that was conducive to honing public speaking skills. Sharing responsibilities with other parents lessened the stress and the workload. After years of organizing and orchestrating a variety of co-ops, Pat is here to encourage, teach, and promote homeschooling co-op style. Hi, welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style. Today we're going to have a program that includes simple directions for organizing and starting your own co-op. I know some of you would like to participate in a co-op, but there's no one in your area who started one, and you're a little bit intimidated by the idea. Well, you don't need to be, and we'll make it very simple for you. In addition to this podcast, I'm going to download pages on the Ultimate Radio Network website that will show you step-by-step instructions for how to begin and start and enjoy a successful co-op. Now, co-oping is an adventure that provides experiences and opportunities beyond what's offered in the home. When planned with intention, a co-op can provide a safe and friendly environment for a child to hone his public speaking skills while learning from group teaching situations. And by co-op, I'm talking about meeting together on a weekly basis with several other families where children of various ages learn various subjects together, taught by parents who share the workload. Our children need to understand the importance of being ready always to defend their faith. But first, they need to be able to understand what they believe and be able to articulate those beliefs in a winsome manner. Co-ops can and should include public speaking lessons and opportunities so that children never develop a fear of public speaking. Now, we're going to start at the very beginning because we know that's the very best place to start. Number one, find a few families to join your co-op. If this is your first co-op, keeping it small will be easier on you as a teacher. You can choose families who have children close in age to your children, or you can include families with children of various ages. Pick a few families to get started with. And then choose a place to hold a co-op. You can hold co-ops in a house, in a church, at a library, in a public building. We've had them outside at parks during good weather. So you can hold your co-op anywhere. If you're starting with a small co-op, then meeting in someone's home is probably the best thing to do for right now. Choose a topic. Your topic can be as broad as geography, world history, famous people, or it can be more specific, such as the Civil War. Inventors and Inventions, Entrepreneurship, or it can be literature-based. We have a guide called The Cross-Cultural Cruise, which uses some of our favorite books by Patricia Polacco. Uh, you could use the American Girl books. We've done that before, the Magic School Bus books. You can make your co-op literature-based. So pick a topic that you want to study. Number four, choose a day and a time for the co-op. Many prefer mornings so the children will be at their best. Staying for lunch gives the parents time to discuss the co-op and whether changes need to be made for the next week. Children love staying for lunch because they have more time to visit and play. Some families avoid Monday co-ops, finding that they end up preparing on Sundays and they prefer to avoid that. Our co-ops have been as short as two hours to as long as seven hours. Three hours works well for most co-ops. We've even had evening co-ops so that dads can be included. Number five. Divide up the workload. This is one of the beauties of co-oping because you share the workload with the other parents. Make charts that either assign weekly jobs per person or that have a rotation of jobs, depending on the desire of the parents involved. On the handout that I'll include, I have a chart that shows rotating assignments by the parents. 
But if you have one parent who would like to do crafts every week and one who would like to do the snack every week, one who would like to put together the newsletter, then you can assign subjects instead of rotations. That's up to you and your co-op. I've also listed possible assignments to include in your co-op. You'll have set up, clean up. All of our co-ops include Bible, character, devotions. We have snacks. We try to make them thematic when, when possible. Crafts, experiments, games. If we have babies, we have a nursery. We publish a newsletter. We'll talk more about that in a minute. We have someone take pictures, and we have parents who share the teaching. Number six, take the pictures and publish the newsletter. If you have someone at co-op, have them take pictures of the children giving their presentations and the snacks and the crafts and experiments, and then have a parent put them all together in a newsletter. Uh, on our handout, there's several pictures of newsletters that we've done. Recording each week's events in a newsletter creates a wonderful keepsake. It provides documentation of the co-op for your portfolio, and it allows you to share your child's activities with interested family members and friends. So let's go over these easy steps once again. Number one, find a few families to join your co-op. Number two, choose a place to hold the co-op. Number three, pick a topic to study. Number four, choose a day and time for the co-op. Number five, divide the workload up among parents. And number six, take pictures and publish a newsletter. One of the things you do want to um, stress in your co-op is the student presentations. If you have students that are young and have never given presentations, they'll learn from the other students who are more familiar with doing that. If they're all new, then they'll start out on the same page. And you can begin your co-op with family presentations, where each family presents their family members to the co-op group. That gives them an opportunity to be in front of the group and to share a little bit about themselves. One of the things I've found that makes running a co-op easy for me is to put a PowerPoint together, sort of like the slides on the handout that I've put on the podcast page, because the PowerPoint presentation helps keep me on track with what I'm doing, what comes next, what we need to cover, and it helps keep the children's attention during the co-op. So I'll have a PowerPoint presentation that will begin with the Bible verse that we're going to quote that day, and we'll talk about the next week's Bible verse. Then we'll have our character lesson or our devotion. And at that time, I may or may not have pictures on the PowerPoint slide. I oftentimes will find videos that I can incorporate into the lessons each week, little short videos like one, two, three minute, at the most five minute videos to show the children throughout the co-op because the more you mix up the way you teach and who's up there and what you're showing, the better attention you're going to have from the children. So I'll have the PowerPoint presentation. I'll include videos. Um, you can purchase very inexpensively, I think as little as $10 now, a remote control for your laptop. So I put the PowerPoint presentation on my laptop, and then I hook my laptop up to either a projector, if there's one available, or to a TV screen. Either way, you can even hook it up to a large computer monitor. You just need to be sure if you're going to be playing things with sound, that you have audio as well as visual. And then I can look at my laptop myself. It can face towards me as I'm teaching, and I can use my remote to change the slides and go through the presentation to keep everybody looking up at the screen, not at me, but I have the slides in front of me to see uh, what we're doing and where we're going next. When you have younger children in a co-op, Usually you want to include thematic snacks if you can. Some co-ops are a little harder to find thematic snacks than others. We're studying the medieval period in our co-op now, and that's a little bit rough. I remember when we studied the Civil War, we had hardtack, and we had some 
foods that really weren't wonderfully exciting to eat, but it did help resonate the lesson with the children. So snacks is an important part of co-op. You can, you know, if if most of your children are not eating sugars, you can make your snacks sugar-free. If you have children in your co-op who are allergic to peanuts, be sure everybody's aware of that. And then younger children enjoy crafts. So we usually have a craft at our co-op. They like to play games. They like to do experiments. So these are things you can include during your day while you're at your co-op. And a lot of that will depend on what subject you've chosen to teach. When we did our geography co-op, oh my, it was huge. We had over 40 students in that co-op, over, I think, 10 families. But as the children arrived to co-op, and we held that one in the church because we needed the sanctuary, they would bring a passport that we made and have their passport stamped. And each week we would study a different continent and then countries within the continent, and each family would have a country to share. So the presentations were given each week by the entire family. They would come up front, usually the little one or two-year-old would hold a picture of the flag of the country, and then the family would give information about the, the country they were representing. At lunchtime, our food was thematic to that continent, so it worked well. We do like to have lunch after co-op when possible because then the parents can talk about what went well, what didn't go so well, what might might need to be changed, and we can fellowship and enjoy each other's company too while the children are definitely enjoying the time together with their friends after the lessons have ended. So if it works out where you could have a morning co-op, stay for lunch, then you can go home and put little ones to bed for, uh, for their naps, that usually works well. What I don't want you to be afraid of is failure, because even if the first co-op is a disaster, you can tweak and change and come back the next week and do it better. In fact, I didn't mention this, but I I would suggest that your first co-op not be very long, four to six to eight, ten weeks, maybe 12 weeks at the most, but no longer than that. And the reason for that is you're going to want to revamp. You might want to change people within the group. You may want to change subjects and do something entirely different. Once you get your feet wet doing a co-op, then you'll have a better idea of what works well for your group. One of the ladies I interviewed on a a previous podcast has been co-oping with the same family since their children were little, and now they're all about to graduate. So some people stay with the same families year after year after year. We always mixed it up. We would allow new people to come into our co-op, and the next year some of the same ones would come back, and we would have more new ones. And after that year, some of the newer ones and older ones would change, and so we switched it up a lot. When we did the American Girl Co-op, we had all girls. When I did a persuasive speaking co-op in current events, we held it at night so the dads could come. We had just boys, and we did that intentionally. So what you choose to study for co-op will usually help you decide whether it should be both boys and girls, younger, older, or just a certain age child. As my children got older and I didn't have little ones at home anymore, the co-ops became geared just toward teenagers because we did include some subjects that younger kids were not ready to discuss yet. Another thing, too, if you're having a co-op and you're starting one with older children, especially if it's just older children, I highly suggest you have breakout sessions. Divide the children into groups, ask them questions, and let them discuss in the group the answers to the question, and then present their answer to the group. This gives them an opportunity to brainstorm, to work together as a team. They can delegate a leader or you can delegate a team leader, and then they can share their responses publicly. So it gives them another opportunity to give an oral presentation. The reason I like to break them into groups, especially the teenagers, is because by then they're a little more intimidated by giving responses that might be wrong, they're a little shy, they don't want to share, but when you put them in a group, that usually allows 
for more discussion and, and more of the people participate who ordinarily wouldn't. So go to our Ultimate Radio Network website page, and you can look for the handout. There's going to be a link there for a handout that shows the slides that goes along with this topic, the one, two, threes of starting a co-op. In fact, I think it's just called Slides for Starting a Co-op. But you'll find them on the page. You can listen to this via iTunes as well as the podcast, and you can go back and listen to the older shows we've done because we have discussed all kinds of topics from how to manage a large co-op with money and Profit, nonprofit. We're talking large. We've talked about how to minister to other people at co-ops. We've talked about co-ops just for teenagers. So there's a variety of past podcasts you can listen to. And if there's something I haven't covered, you have questions, feel free to contact me. I'd be glad to tell you more about co-oping. I've been co-oping for more than 30 years, and I love homeschooling co-op style. Thank you for joining our show today. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends. And until next time, this has been Homeschooling, Co-op Style.